0: Welcome to Blackstone Irregulars, and I am Holly Blackstone, and this is podcast two. We all have stories in us. But before I get to that, I wanted to talk about how I came up with the name Blackstone Irregulars. So I was trying to think of a good name for my podcast. And I thought, well, there's Holly's podcast, that sounds so pedestrian. And then there's Holly Talk, which just sounds like a bad Olivia Newton-John mashup song. And so then I moved to Blackstone. And was racking my brain. And I remembered that in one of my favorite games, Dragon Age Origins, there's a faction called the Blackstone Irregulars. And they are just a um, bunch of mercenaries. And I thought, well, that's kind of funny, because uh, the term irregular sort of, in a way, could describe what my writing style is. I mean, basically, irregular just means not according to Webster's, acting in accord with laws, rules, or established custom. So I write in an unusual tense, third-person present. I genre hop. I'm uh, American, yet I prefer British spellings in a lot of words. And so I thought, well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's all sorts of wrong and sort of seems like an irregular. So uh, here we are. So now on to We All Have Stories in Us. And this is part going to be part of a series. So a lot of authors I've seen on Twitter, uh, I even thought this myself at one point, have mentioned that they worry they're going to run out of ideas. And at this point, I have about three dozen um, tabs in a one-note notebook with story ideas. And I think for a lot of people, that's the hardest thing to envision. And yet, I believe we all can tell a story. Uh, it just takes uh, time to develop it, patience a lot of forbearance, and the kind of figuring out how to work through that process. And so I want to give you little tips if you ever want to see if you can write a story if being an author is for you. So I used to think, as I said, the same uh, as many other people have said that story ideas are hard to come by, but you can actually find inspiration just in the world around you. Um, but first of all, I think one of the best things you can do, and you'll be doing yourself a huge favor, is to, rec- to read a lot uh, across genres, across au- authors, across classics, modern, if you want. Um, for it, it serves a mul- multitude of purposes. For one, it exposes you to new ideas n- and authors, it expands your vocabulary, for instance, as well. It can. It um, I learned a great deal of vocabulary from reading one of my mom's favorite authors, Rex Stout, and his uh, Archie Goodwin, Nero Wolfe series. At first, I wasn't that much of a fan, but I really like the way he, uh, Rex Stout, wrote his characters. Uh, Nero and Archie both have really specific personalities. And he's just done a great job character developing. And Nero Wolf has a great vocabulary. And so I'm grateful that I read those books. Um, Reading also can help you hone your style, you can find ways that people express themselves that you like and adopt them as your own, or things that you don't like. And that can sometimes be just as advantageous, if not more so uh, than finding what you like. Um, It sets the tone and kind of helps you develop your own sense of Uh, style and personality that you'll express on the page so how do you get to that point um so that's great you do a little uh pre (laughs) pre pre-funking or pre-loading by reading so then how do you actually get the kernel of an idea that you can then develop into a story well you can start with as I referred to earlier just your uh, daily observations the things that you encounter in life your daydreams um, things that you've read, uh, articles, discussions that you've had. So I mean, you could see uh, a car accident maybe. Somebody has a flat tire and you are thinking, why is that person not really upset? I'm always upset when I get a flat tire. And you can develop a whole story around it. So an example where I use this uh, was uh, at my um, cyberpunk book uh, and Laugh at Digital Butterflies, uh, which is about Abigail, Um, who writes uh, custom simulations in the future, and Dyson Pierce, who is a space trillionaire. He owns a company called Stratosphere Futuristics. So the way I came up with that idea is Mr. Mann and I were going to have lunch at this fantastic Indian restaurant that regrettably is not there anymore. (laughs) But we were talking about uh, the future. We were talking about the Internet. We were talking about virtual reality. The conversation kind of meandered. And at some point, we started discussing how it's odd, but pornography has driven a lot of the internet, uh, streaming, uh, technology, even video. Pornography has, has, has pushed on te- technology with regard to streaming and the internet, um, video, recording. And so as we discussed virtual reality, which I think would be very cool... Um, and, of course, there's going to be historic simulations. Uh, of course, there's going to be people who want to examine a different time or live a different life. And then I thought to myself, well, I said, I said to Mr. Mann, I said, I wonder if that's going to be a driver for VR. VR has not had this really f- fast adoption yet. But once, I think, we start getting haptic stuff down better, you might see uh, more use of it for uh, sex or pornographic options and so I thought to myself well in the context of a story that would be interesting then wouldn't it? So virtual reality is now a complete industry so what would that mature industry look like? So I Realize that pornography or sex, sex sells, sex is always sold uh, on some level. And why would that change in the future? So I came up with this idea that Abigail has basically reached the pinnacle of her career and she's worked her way through doing all sorts of technical simulations and she's just amassed this huge amount of of knowledge and aptitude. And so the high-paying clients, the really wealthy clients, are going to want historic reproductions that are very, very detail-oriented or they're going to want their fantasies. And so that's how I came up with the idea of Abigail and Dyson, all from a conversation with Mr. Mann about virtual reality and the future in pornography. (laughs) So there you go. So it can work. So I can speak that from experience. So when you, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of figuring everything out about a book and you don't have to do that. You don't have to start off having all the answers, but it's very important to ask questions. Just get the basics down. Uh, What do you want the setting to be is a good one. Is it a town? Is it a city? Is it a colony in space, an asteroid colony, a border spaceship? Uh, who's the main character A woman man what's their background are they a criminal are they burdened by guilt or something just a little bit doesn't have to be everything it's just think of it as a silhouette of someone i don't know if you remember if you ever did this in grade school i'm probably a little older than s- some people who are listening to this but we used to sometimes make silhouettes um you know with construction paper and uh of of ourselves, of famous people of whatever, and put them on cardboard, a construction pa other construction paper in relief and, you know, put them on the on the wall as a form of art. But just so just think of your main character to start off with as a silhouette. You just have the barest outline of it and you can work on it later. And you should you should you should let this idea germinate. You don't have to figure it out all at once. I think the best ideas take time to brew. So the next thing you should be thinking about is the time period. If you want something historical, just be aware you're going to have to do to make it accurate, to give it a good feel for that time. You're going to have to do quite a bit more research. Uh, Also, if you're not going to set it in a modern time or a time that existed on Earth, like let's say on a different planet or in the future um, or in a fantasy world, uh, and I've done the last two, while well, I've done Cyberpunk and I've done a fantasy series, uh, then you're going to have to create a world. So those are two things that are t- two aspects that are going to require a lot more work. If you're trying to do something historical and you're trying to create something that has never existed before. So just keep that in mind. And I'm not saying that to dissuade you at all, because there's some wonderful science fiction books and fantasy books where these, I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien is the most obvious example that people know about um, that has a complete series, very fleshed out world with a rich, rich mythology. Uh, I'm not not going to dissuade you from that, but just be aware that that is going to be a little bit more of a time sink if you want to have a completely fleshed out world. But hey, so so let's just review there. You've got just the basic stuff is the setting, where's, it, where's most of the action going to occur, town, city, uh, space, uh, in a home. I mean, you could... You could write an entire story probably just with a few locations. Uh, who, who's the main character? Just basics. What is the time period? Um, contemporary, in the past, in the future, or some other location. So, okay, you've already got a few few kind of important things settled there. So then how do you want to tell the story? Do you want it to be an inner monologue, like first-person If you listen to my first podcast, you probably already know that that's not necessarily my most favorite way to tell a story, but it could be yours. It could be what you're more interested in. People, everybody I'm guessing, (laughs) I only know my own brain, has a running dialogue. So that may be something that is a little bit more familiar. A lot of people have kept a diary. I kept a diary for a long, long time when I was younger. So that may be a more comfortable scenario for you. Uh, Third person, I like third person um, and i'll just talk about that briefly since that's mostly what i'm familiar with i like the ability of a third person to jump between events or characters i can speak to the thoughts of multiple characters what's going on in their mind and i can also explore locations where either my main character or characters ha- are not at that at that moment and i actually use that mechanism in my fourth book of the void chronicles to sort of give an inner View of what goes on in the necroman with the necromancers in their ranks. I also feel, for me, uh, I've seldom read a good uh, first person story uh, in. In in erotica in romance that jumps between two different characters that's a common trope right now is to have to have um, switching viewpoints between like the hero and the heroine and I think that's a very difficult thing to pull off very very difficult because people think differently people act differently people use words differently people are not going to express the same sunset using very similar language you'll have a broad spectrum. Of ways that people describe something very simple, uh, just the words they use. And I think it is very difficult to develop a unique first-person monologue. So if you maybe intend to write more than one book, you have to think about whether or not your heroine or your hero is going to sound very similar to the previous one you wrote. Uh, I can give, I can talk about ways to ameliorate that and I'll do that probably in a in a subsequent podcast but just those are things to think about. Um, for me, first person also can feel a bit self-absorbed and narcissistic, and I think that's just the nature of the beast. Again, you could probably come up with ways to ameliorate a great deal of that. All that being said and taken to account, I have used first person uh, in, as a diary style in my dark erotica book, Blood and Frost. So Blood and Frost is a, sort of a reimagining of a a classic paranormal tale. <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail, give too much away. But uh, Lucretia is trapped in a remote area and um, is uh, with a very enigmatic, mysterious and powerful man, Jonathan. And so the story has three, it was a very difficult book to write because I, I swapped between a first-person diary mechanism, which is what I used to sort of convey the way that she was developing and adapting to her environment and being influenced by Jonathan. I also uh, wrote my traditional third-person present so that you could see what what was going on and feel like this is the action that's actually, this is what's actually moving along. This is where we are right now. And then she could reflect on those things in her diary entries. And I also wrote in third-person past, because I wanted to be able to explore Jonathan and how he became to came to be who he was uh, so that was it's difficult I had I did a lot of editing with that book to make sure that I tried to adhere to those tenets because I wanted it to be very clear uh, and to give a different feel for each of those sections For me, really present feels as if you are living in it and again that's personal preference a lot of people don't like it they can they can, they can compare it to a screenplay or something similar. Uh, They say maybe it has a little impersonal feel to it, but I do think that some of that is made up for by the omniscience that you can inject into the story. So now we've outlined uh, characters, basic stuff, uh, thinking about the way you want to tell the story, what person... So I think that's probably enough for now. In my next podcast, I'll discuss my process in more detail. And if you have any questions, I've created an email specifically for this podcast. You can email podcast at hollyblackstone.com and I will do my best to address your questions in my podcasts and discuss any issues uh, that you bring up. So until then, thanks for tuning in and listening. This is Holly signing off. See you next time.